This morning I want to look at hope in terms of the sins that we keep repeating over and over before God. Now that, that sentence may not have made sense to you. I want to look at hope in terms of the sins that we keep repeating over and over before God. And, and you know, really, this, this is an important thing to talk about if we're going to talk about hope, because, because it is the cycle of sins in our lives that really drains us of a lot of the hope that, that we should have on a, on a day-to-day basis in the faith in which God has called us to walk. And you do realize that a repeated cycle of sin and idolatry, that's pretty much what the whole Old Testament is about, right? And you do realize that God was and is greater than, than our sin and greater than our cycles. And yes, there's a New Testament and there's a, the Son of God who comes. But this passage, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, is the place in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, you might say, where the New Covenant is talked about. This, this covenant that we have entered into with God that, that is ours today. And I'd like to read about this New Covenant that breaks the cycle. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, and this is the very word of God. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them up out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was... Their husband declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I want to look at this through the lens of of two things. They are the cycle of breaking covenant that we find in the scriptures and in our lives, the cycle of breaking covenant and the covenant that breaks the cycle. Let me say that again. The cycle of breaking covenant and the covenant that breaks the cycle. I want to begin by this cycle of breaking covenant with God that we, that we see and that, that we act out on in our lives. I mean, there are all kinds of cycles of sin, right? Um, some, t- some people call them addictions. Uh, there are cycles of abuse in families for sure. And it just keeps, it, sometimes it even goes on from generation to a generation. It's a cycle. There are addictions of all kinds. Uh, there are substance abuses. There are addictions to all kinds of things. And they, they, they turn out to be a loop uh, that we keep Hooking back into uh, a, a cycle, a loop, constantly repeating. And we all understand this because all those things 
are just a tale of the human frailty of us all. You know, and the reason we understand those things, even in their more extreme form, is that we all experience them in our own lives in other forms. We've all gone through cycles of addiction to idols. That's the way the Old Testament puts it. And by the way, an idol is just uh, things that we cherish more than God himself and things or people that we look to 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 make our lives okay, to to make our lives what we want them to be other than trusting in God and and his love and his truth and his provision. Uh, In fact... Not only do we participate in idolatry, each one of us, because we're sinners, I think that every one of us are kind of prone to certain idolatries. There are people in this sanctuary today that just worry about money all the time. And they're just, they're just kind of hooked into this loop of just really thinking about money. And, and if I just had more money, it would all, it would, my life would work. There are people here that are looped into something akin to sexuality. And if there was just this or that in place of this or that, then everything would, my life would be happy and everything would be right the way it should be. And, and there are people that are addicted to just this drive for status. You know, if people, if I could just do this, people would see me like this, then my life would be great. Some people just are people pleasers to the max. They just desperately above all things want to be liked. And if I were just liked by more people, finally I could rest. Well, it's true. It's true about every person here. It's true about me. Uh, there, there, there are idolatries that we are prone to. And that's kind of why also it's not surprising that the entire storyline of the Old Testament is pretty much what human beings do. It's pretty much the the cycle of idolatry. You know how someone can love the Lord and the Lord loves them. And then, no, if I just had this, you know, and they put their focus or worship this God to get that. And they would turn away from God, even though he says, I'm your husband. I love you. They would turn away from God. And then it wouldn't pay off. Then they would be convicted. Then they would turn back to God. God would always forgive them. Always, right? Always? Yes. And now we're just kind of cruising along. And, oh, they just turned to idols again. I mean, you read the Old Testament. If you're reading the Old Testament for the first time, I mean, the first time ever, after about the fifth one of those, you're going, God ain't going to put up this much longer. How, you know, what's wrong with these people? Well, they're human beings. This is what we do. This is why John Calvin referred to the human heart as an idol factory. But you know, through it all, God never stopped loving his people. There never came that fifth time where, you know, if you do this one more time, I'm out of here. And, and, and God was just so patient and, and loving. And you know why God did not forsake his people? Well, first of all, that's his character. God is love. God is faithful. And secondly, God made promises 
And he does not break his promises. I mean, think about this for a minute. We say God made promises, God made covenants. Wait a minute, time out. God made a promise. God bound himself to sinners who he knew would turn on them. Where do we deserve a promise from God in a relationship that is initiated by God? Answer, we don't. This is incredible. This is grace. God made promises to them and he always loved them. You know why? Because God wants us to have a relationship with him. God wants us to derive what we really need from him. You know, since the fall of mankind, no one, including everybody in this sanctuary and everybody that was in the first service, no one's ever seen a fully functioning human being since the fall. There's only been one that's ever lived since the fall, and that was Jesus Christ. You know, I think, I think deep in our hearts, if we're willing to be honest, we just know this, this isn't all there is. There's, there must be more that God intended to be in a human being. There must be more. There's yet to discover what love is. There's yet to discover what purpose is. There's yet to discover all these things. Oh yes, by our sin and our selfishness and our little idolatries and our big ones, we are dehumanizing ourselves and God is saying, no, I, I want you to, to be with me. I want you to have fullness and wholeness. The, the Bible word is shalom. I want to give that to you. And so I want to look at, just very briefly, the covenants that God made with us because our text is referring specifically to the covenant God made with Noah. So let's do a little jet tour through the covenants, all right? God put Adam and Eve in a garden and it was just total love. It was a world of love. It was all provision. It was all beauty. It was all everything that you could desire. And God walked with Adam in the cool of the day and he was in charge of the garden. He was the CEO of the world. I mean, there was just unlimited purpose and wonder. And God said... I want you to walk with me. I I want you to name these animals. I want you to tend this garden. I want you to till it, make it work for you, take dominion over it. But you know what? There's a tree in the middle of the garden. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you you don't want to go there. Trust me. You just want to know my love and my goodness. You don't want to discover the other side. But you know what? Satan tempted them and they wanted to discover the other side. And God said, in the day you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And they ate of that tree and they were cut off from the immediate presence of God. And they were ejected from that garden, weren't they? Because God had made a promise. We call it the covenant of works or the covenant with Adam. It was based on his ability to continue with God because he lived in a perfect environment and he blew it. Well, let me tell you, Adam's and Eve's children all the way down to now have been born outside that garden under the curse. And we are born with hearts that are toward, I mean, that's why in first grade, the first thing you learn is sharing. You don't have to learn to be selfish in first grade. The covenant of works that God is holy and perfect and, and it's nothing less than perfection that he demands to have a relationship with him. I want you to know the covenant of works is still bearing down on every one of us. And even as God was cursing the earth and and even as the fall and and all the effects of the fall were, were flowing out, God said that there would be one born of a woman, Genesis 3, 15, who would come and crush the head of Satan, who would all of this reverse all of this and, and bring people back into fellowship with God. 
You know, we just baptized this beautiful little girl that, that comes out of Genesis 12, 15, and 17. Those are the three places where God came to a man named Abram, whom he later renamed Abraham, the father of many nations. And the reason he renamed him as Abram was never the same after he met God. And, and there was God. And he said he knew it was God. And he worshipped God as God. And he trusted in the promises. And you know what God did? God made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with Abraham to be his God and the God of his children after him. He made a covenant with Abraham where he would give him a land. He would give him kingdoms and kings would come from him. And that the whole earth would be populated through him and salvation finally would come to all the nations through him. But you know, this was a different covenant than the covenant God made with Adam because the covenant of works was dependent on Adam's works. But the covenant with Abraham wasn't between God and Abraham. It was between God the Father and God the Son. Because even as he ratified this covenant in the Old Testament, there were two halves of a, of a bull and, and, and doves in the ceremony where if you made a covenant agreement where everybody's got their part of the agreement, you walk through these bloody halves of the covenant ceremony, basically saying this is life or death. We know all covenants with God are life or death, and that's why Jesus is going to die, because it is life or death with God. And Abram fell into a deep sleep, and when he woke, you know what he saw? The unthinkable only God, a representation of God's glory, only God passed between the pieces, signifying only God would satisfy the covenant. That's why we call that covenant the covenant of grace. Because someone else would come. Genesis 3.15, the one born of woman. Someone else would come and fulfill that covenant on our behalf. Now, I like that covenant a whole lot. Well, then we get finally to the covenant with Moses. So uh, the people of God became a nation and they came out of Egypt by God's mighty hand. And I won't go into all of that. But God gave them a gift one day up on Mount Sinai. Moses was with God in the thick darkness of God's glory. And God carved out his law on tablets of stone. And Moses came down. Uh, with those tablets, and he had to come down twice, but that's another story. Um, and I want you to know, God did not give the law to Moses and to his people to ruin their day, to be the cosmic party killer, you know, the, the one who's always judging. No, you know what he was doing? The covenant of grace. Old Testament, always trusting in the Christ to come. What does it look like to walk with this God? The law is simply what the grace life looks like. And you know, it does look better when we don't steal. It does look better when we don't commit adultery, when we don't lie about each other and bear false witness. We don't covet everybody's everything. And, and actually nations and societies do a whole lot better with this at all. But there's a problem with the covenant of Moses. The covenant of Moses wasn't for salvation. It was given to saved people. Remember what God said when he gave the Ten Commandments? I am the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the hand, land of slavery. Now you have no other gods before me. You do not create gods after my image and do not worship them. Do not bow down to them, etc. I am the Lord, your God. This was for people that knew him by grace under that covenant of grace. But here's the problem with the covenant with Moses. And you already know what it is. We cannot, as sinners, 
live that law consistently. We can't get past number one. You shall have no other gods before me. And I refer you back to these cycles of idolatry and how we put our trust in, in, in other things. And all this leads to this massive history of cycles of sin and idolatry. But you know, finally, and God always took them back, but finally, there was a change in the history of Israel and in the history of these cycles. Finally, after God's patience and his prophets, they did not turn to him. And they continued to worship other gods and to love them and turn from God, their husband. And the Lord did something big because he loved them. And we find this in the book of Jeremiah and we find this in the book of Lamentations. You know what God did? God, for a period of time, stripped away from them some of the things that he had given them in this covenant. He took away their land. They were carried off into exile. He took away their kingdom. Jerusalem and the palace, it was all reduced to rubble. He took away their temple. And why would God do that? After all these cycles, God did that because he loved them. And he wanted to remove certain things in their life, hoping that there would be a a hunger created for him. And sure enough, it was through that massive cave-in that they said, oh yeah, God is the one. And they came back to God. God says, you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. But I'm going to, after 70 years, I'm going to take you back to Jerusalem. I'm going to restore the land. I'm going to restore the temple. And that's what we see. 70 years and, and there they are in that captivity. And they did come back to God. And Jerusalem was rebuilt and the walls were rebuilt. You know about Ezra and the temple and Nehemiah and the walls. And all this is recorded in biblical history. But there is a bigger question that needs to be addressed in this famous passage. And that is, how, how, can you break, how can we break the cycle? Can the cycle be broken? Is there just no hope for us? What can break the cycle? And the answer is, not us. Not us. But the answer in the new covenant is, God not only can break the cycle... But we see that he will break the cycle through this thing called the new covenant. So first of all, is this cycle of covenant breaking that leads to the covenant that breaks the cycle. It's called the new covenant. Now, if we are honest, and may I say that we're often not very honest with ourselves, we choose to think all kinds of things about ourselves that aren't true. So we'll feel better about ourselves. That's not helpful. And we are not honest very often with God. And God already knows. And God does love us. And we are safe with God in his grace. But if we are honest, we we, we are a little bit downcast sometimes about this because we instinctively know that we're going to let God down again, so to speak. Right? 
I mean, that's why people come to me with this question or to the pastor or even other people. They say, hey, okay, help me understand this. Like I'm repenting for this particular sin and I kind of suspect that I might commit that sin again. And I already know that. I kind of suspect that now while I'm repenting right now, does that even count? That's a great question. Is that not a great question? And why do we feel that way? Because that's who we are. Because prone to wonder, Lord, we do feel it. I sometimes will say, you know, I wouldn't be so focused on that sin. You're going to break God's law a hundred ways before you even get to that one. Now, we are sinners. That's why we sin. We're not good people who sin. We are sinners who sin. And yes, there is forgiveness in Christ. And yes, we need to repent of our sins. And we'll talk about cycles being broken in a moment. In a moment. See, that the new covenant is just the Messiah's coming to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant. That's all it is. The Abrahamic covenant is the covenant of grace that talks about the Messiah to come and all that will happen. The new covenant is simply the fulfillment of the coming of Christ and the coming of the kingdom in that new way and the coming and the advent of the Holy Spirit into the lives of believers. And and the new covenant takes us all the way to when Christ returns and the new heavens and the new earth. And so it is different with Jesus having come into this world. And, and th- this is Jeremiah forecasting this new covenant. And the new covenant is here. And it is God's answer to our failure to obey the covenant with Moses. Look at verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel in those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And they, I will be their God and they will be my people. No, this is not writing it on stone so they can understand the precepts of God's glory so that they might choose to obey it. This is very direct. This is God actually writing it onto the fleshy hearts of people who love him. This is God at work very directly in our lives through the Holy Spirit. And, and they will be my God. I will be their God and they will be my people. This is relational language of a walk, of a marriage with God. God is saying that I will be there and I will give what is needed. Jonathan Edwards wrote something really wonderful about this. He, he wrote in the old covenant with Moses, God promised to be their God. And there were conditions of hearty obedience. Obedience was stipulated as a condition, but the obedience and the ability to obey was not promised. But in the new covenant, even the obedience and the ability to obey is promised. Now I like that covenant. You like that? You see, because God's not just saying, let's just see, you're just going to be in this, in these cycles of sin. God is saying, no, the new covenant is here and, and the new covenant breaks the cycle. Now, much of what we read in the new covenant certainly is for when Christ returns. 
And it's sometimes hard in these, these prophecies to, to kind of sort out which, which belong, things that belong in the first coming and, and what we have now and, and things that are reserved for when Christ returns and, and everything's being wrapped up. And, and this is no different. And you know, there will come a day when the cycles of idolatry will be broken forever without any possibility of them ever returning. And that day will be in heaven. And that is beautiful. But the good news is, is that the salvation that comes to us through Christ is actually there for God to lead us closer to himself rather than idols today. Now, I know that we Americans in 2015, this is a microwave culture. I I understand This is the 32nd culture. This is the YouTube culture. But you know, spiritual growth and God's progress in our lives, it is never microwave. I mean, just go ahead and get the the word healed out of your mind. I mean, God can heal people just like that, and he does. But you know, that's what we wish he'd do. Healed, and I'll ever struggle with this again. Well, you know, the truth of the matter is, is by God's grace, we do know the Lord. And we are accepted by God, even though we are sinners and God loves us. And we woke up this morning. If you have what Christ has done on the cross in your life, on your behalf, we woke up this morning under God's smiles, under his faithfulness. And what God is saying is, you know, I really do want to transform you over time more into the image of my son. And could we agree that most change in our lives is slow, arcing change? Because literally what we're saying is this is that if you do not believe that the Holy Spirit works in our lives and that the power of God is for now, then we're just waiting until heaven for anything to be addressed in our lives spiritually. I'm not, that's not what the Bible teaches. But nor does it teach that if we just had faith, everything would be instant just the way we want it now. It has to do with God being our husband. You understand? It has to do with walking with God. Look, you walk with your wife or your husband, you walk with your friend, and on that journey, you change, right? I mean, one of the things we see is, you know, Frodo and Sam, they change because they go on a journey together. Well, walking with God is like that too. And we walk with God and we change. Only later will we never sin. We can know the Lord now, but we cannot be perfect in this life. Perfection will only come in heaven. In fact, you might want to turn to your husband or wife and say, I, honey, I don't expect you to be perfect on this side of glory. That might be helpful to your marriage if you were to actually say that because it's true. But honey, I want to grow in the Lord and I want to change over time. And, and I hope that you do as well. The key now is not to worry so much about perfection, but to really rely on the grace that he has given us and live in his love and just walk in the truth. You know, the mystery of the covenant is, is why does God still accept us even though we sin? And the answer is simply the new covenant because God, we read it in the call to worship, has sent his son as a sacrifice for us and he accepts us on the basis of his son and no other basis. You see, God didn't make the covenant of grace between he and Abraham 
that was made between the father and the son. And that ceremony excluded Abraham and, and God sent his son. And when it was finished on Calvary, it was finished. And you and I can't be perfect, but I tell you, the covenant of works is still over our head and perfection is demanded. And God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's amazing what God does in the gospel. He not only forgives us our sins, he gives us the very righteousness of God. Am I righteous? No. Are you righteous? No. Hopefully we are growing in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But if you've put your trust in what Christ has done, you are considered righteous right now. This is irreversible. God's not going to reverse his covenant on you. One scholar says, he gets it right, I think, when he says the promise is fully made new with no possibility of reversal. A covenant with no possibility of unfaithfulness. Christ's fidelity will make us considered permanently faithful. That's amazing. So I don't know what's going on in your life, but if you just always feel a day late and a dollar short with God, that's not the way to look at it. What you need to look at it is you need to look at it and you need to say, I I cannot believe this is true, but you see me as righteous. I actually have a relationship with the holy God because of what you have done. You accept me right now. You don't have to run and hide from God. You need to run to God because of his love, because of the new covenant in what Christ has done. We need to walk with God, not just kind of play around the edges and try to impress God. God's not impressed. God's very impressed with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He's very impressed with the righteousness that he gives us. The hope when we hurt, when we hurt the hope that won't go away is that right now, God loves us in Christ. Right now, Now, whatever you're going through, let's just say you have deep, incredible hurt. Let's say it's hurt that won't go away. Maybe it's a situation that's not changing. Maybe it's a person that's not changing. Where is the hope, you say? The hope is in a person. The hope is in a relationship with the God who loves you and accepts you right now. And he will give you what you need today. But I think we do need to say, too, hope when the hurt won't go away does finally, at the end of the day, we got to include One day we're going to be in a place where hurt's not allowed. And we know whatever it is, there will be a day when hurt won't be allowed. We read it in our New Testament lesson. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. And that's in Revelation 21. And did, did you notice when we read that I saw the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride prepared for her, what, husband. There it is. You disobeyed me and you got into these cycles of addiction and idolatry when I was your husband. But I loved you and I give you this new covenant and I'm going to do everything on your behalf. It's not going to be between me and you. You can't make it worse and you can't make it better. I love you. I will always accept you in Jesus Christ. And one day there's going to be a new Jerusalem and I will be your husband forever. 
And at that time, just one more little aside, there won't even be a need for the Great Commission. We read in 34, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. Now, we have lots of uh, struggles in our lives, and, and they are particular to your life. And, and one thing I hope you never hear from me is a minimizing of the struggles that you go through. Because you know what? To you, they're 100%. And I think we think a lot of things in our hearts. We have a lot of things that go bump in the night in our lives. Uh, we have a lot of negative thoughts. We have a lot of insecure thoughts. I find myself having these insecure thoughts and these negative thoughts. And I'll tell you when I find myself having them. I mean, I find myself having them from time to time just because of different challenges in my life. But you know, I don't think I've ever had as a believer a sinus infection or a cold where I just didn't feel like somehow my mind and heart went in an echo chamber. Y'all wouldn't believe how your pastor turns in on himself when I'm sick. I really do. I'm just being honest with you. I'm not the kind of person that does that all the time. And I think maybe I've thought about it a lot. Maybe the reason that happens to me every single time is because there are people that that's more the way they are in their life. And, you know, it gives me great compassion because I can't wait for those antibiotics to work and be done with that. This week I was very sick. Um, Very sick meaning a cold, but a bad one. Headache, runny nose, coughing, the whole nine yards, uh, you know, just couldn't move very much. And uh, this stuff was just happening to me big time. And it was all swirling in my head. And Thursday, I didn't get out of bed, really. I mean, I got out of bed a little bit. And I was just sitting there, you know, with all this going on. You know the thing that helped me on Thursday? This is the advantage of being a preacher. I'm not sure what kind of Christian I'd be if I wasn't a preacher because i got to study the Bible every week, you know. Um, what helped me was to actually, while I was lying there, turned in on myself, really start thinking about the sermon I needed to preach on Sunday. What really helped me was to really think about the new covenant and the fact that it really isn't between God and me really is between the Father and the Son. And this really is a gift, and it is what it is. And this relationship that God gave me is sheerly because of His grace. And that God is there. You know, and 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 I'll be honest with you, just kind of thinking through some of the implications of the new covenant, even the thoughts of heaven. I don't mean to be overdramatic about a cold, but even thoughts of heaven were just very real to me as I was just kind of sitting there in some emotional and spiritual pain. Here's our hope. You need to be thinking about the new covenant that is grace that's just given. You need to be thinking about a relationship that God wants to have with you. You need to be thinking about the fact that you can turn to God, whatever's going on in your life. And we need to be encouraging one another in this grace that is quite independent of us and encourage each other in the love of God is there. Here is our hope. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, 
when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, even though I am their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it directly on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and the other saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. Let's pray. Lord, no more. We're so thankful. God, would you... uh, Would you so work in our lives just through your truth and through the Spirit's opening of this truth to our lives? Lord, we we have many cycles of idolatry, and, and Lord, we need to bring those to the light of your truth. And we need to bring those to the light of the new covenant that your love is greater than life. We need to trust in you, only only you, Lord can give us the, the security that we desperately seek in our hearts to trust in you. Only you, Lord, can give us the faith in your grace that you will lead us as we turn to you, that yours is a, a relationship of sweetness. Lord, we are so dehumanized and we tend to fragment ourselves even more But we know deep in our hearts that you have more for us with you. And so, Lord, this morning right here, would you call somebody to realize that they don't have to run anymore. If they've put their trust in you, that you love them right now. Lord, would you help someone realize that that particular idol will not pay, but will demand everything. And that you, Lord, are a God of gift, the giver, the lover, our husband. Lord, would you call somebody this morning to want that kind of relationship, a husband relationship, a marriage and an intimate relationship with you. Lord, would you cause us to believe in sins forgiven? And would you cause us to believe that you will write it on our hearts and lead us this day into what you have for us? And Father, where there is discouragement in cycles of idolatry, would you first break that discouragement and lift up the primacy of this relationship that cannot be stopped? And would you give a sense that it is okay to just walk into this and let you shape us over time. And finally, Lord, we do look forward to that day when there will be no struggle and there will be no pain and there will be nothing but love and purpose and nothing in between. And we praise you for all of this and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.